0: Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Please give your attention to the Word of God. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, And he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who was 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who was 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring, his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. You know, human flesh matters. Human flesh is not a matter that is indifferent. Human flesh is not evil. It is not an obstruction or a barrier. It's an integral part of who we are. An integral part of how God has made us to be. It's part of God's call on us. God calls me to live in this world as a man because he's made me a man. God has called my wife to live in this world as a woman because he made her a woman. This is not difficult or complicated. One simply looks at one's flesh and knows what one is called to be. Now, we see in two different ways in this chapter the importance of human flesh. First, God put his covenant in their flesh And secondly, God was teaching Abraham here, what I promised you, I was promising Sarah, because you're one flesh with her. In other words, it's not just about you, Abram; It's about you and your wife. It's about you and your wife and your household. He's teaching us about God, about marriage and family. And he's teaching us that households should act like households. And the heads of the household should expect their household to obey God and be blessed by God. As we begin the chapter, we see God appearing again to Abram. These repeated appearances meant to bolster his faith, to encourage him. And we see that we need reminders. If he needed to be strengthened with repeated appearances, well, we need to be strengthened with repeated repetitions of knowing who God is and being called. And you might notice that after making a covenant with Abram in chapter 15, covenant where God alone took on responsibilities, God alone went between, symbolically, the pieces of the animal. And then after Abram's failure of faith in chapter 16, now God calls for some human responsibility in response to his covenant. Notice that's where he begins. Walk before me and be blameless. I was going to do what he said in chapter 15 for Abram. His word stands. But Abram here is being called to live a holy life. To be saved by faith, as we said this morning, is not license to do whatever we wish. That was for Abram, and that is for all of us. Salvation is all of God. We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ alone, because Christ is the Savior, and we, he doesn't need our help to be a co-Savior. Now we live as the redeemed. Now we live as those kept by God for Christ. Now we live as those called and loved by God. You notice, God then further clarifies what he's going to do for Abram. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And that's a gracious response to the fact that Abram now has a son, Ishmael. And God's going to give him a son, Isaac. So, all right, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Some through Ishmael, some through Isaac. And symbolic of that he gives him a new name, Abraham. Now, the, doesn't really mean that much different than Abram. The idea is exalted father, but it's bigger. I'm making you bigger. Right? So you get a bigger name. Right? It's a bigger, longer name. And from here on in the Bible, he's Abraham. You don't go back and forth. Now with Jacob, you go back and forth between Jacob and Israel. But Abram and Sarah, nope, once you're done with once he names him Abraham, and once he names him Sarah, that's it. You don't see the other name anymore. Yeah, it's gone. Two times you mention Abram, it's like you took Abram and you named him Abraham. All right, so that's it. You're going to be Abraham. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to have kings come from you. And I give you the land of Canaan. And this is something very interesting. I'm going to make a covenant with your offspring also. I'm going to be their God. It says that a couple of times. I'm going to be your offspring's God. And what's remarkable and a little bit sad is here is the best promise God could give a guy. All right? I will be God not only to you, but to your offspring after you. And some people would think that they don't actually need a God. Why would I need a God? Well, the reason that you need a God is because you are so small, you are so short lived, you are so vulnerable, you are so easily manipulated, you are so ignorant, you need a God. And what we see here is it's not just any God. It's God Almighty who is willing to be our God if we will but accept his Son whom he has offered to us. Believe in Jesus Christ and you have not just a God, but the God. And you get caught into this story and are part of this fulfillment. He will be your God and fulfillment to this promise that we've read here tonight. And having clarified what he will do for Abraham, then God tells Abraham what Abraham is going to do. He's going to keep his covenant. And so important is the sign of the covenant that he then only speaks about the sign of the covenant. The rest of the chapter is on circumcision, the sign of the covenant. Now, God has some other expectations for Abraham and he gets into that in the next chapter. You're going to raise your kids to my way and so on. All right, so there is more that Abraham is supposed to do than just circumcise. But the sign is important. And so God spends his time talking about that. The sign of the covenant between me and you and your offspring after you is every male gets circumcised. Whether he's a grown man or as soon as he's born. Whether he's part of the family or he's part of the staff. All right, does a man, if he's a son, servant, or slave, if he's in your household and he's a male, He gets circumcised. So he says, shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Notice the men and the boys are not being queried about their faith. They're not being given a choice. They're in Abraham's house. This is what we're doing. And it happens that day, which is some impressive obedience and a sign of how well Abraham ran his house. He got right to it and it happened. Now, I remember fondly getting a phone call from my wife at work. She's there, up in Horsham at the computer programming company. And she calls me up and she says, Hey, um, my boss has a question for you. I'm going to put her on. I said, Okay. So I get her boss on. The boss says, Hey, here's my question. Why circumcision? (laughs) Like, why is that the sign? Which is a good question. I mean, it could have been a tattoo. It could have been a pierced ear. I right, pierced your nose. Why cut off the floppy skin at the end of the penis? Why is it that one? You know, I have not seen Christian reflection on this question. I imagine there must be a lot of Jewish reflection, but I haven't gone looking for it. Here's what I think. What was Abraham's struggle of faith? What was he struggling to believe and to obey? He was struggling to obey that God would give him a son by his wife. And you know how babies are made. And so he got the sign of God's promise right where his struggle of faith was. And that shows us up front that neither reasons of family inheritance, nor sexual desire, or no, okay, none of that is to be outside of God's realm. You don't get to say, yeah, but this is an area for me where God doesn't come in. He says, no, uh, right there. God is involved right there. And for all of us, I think there's a spiritual lesson here. What does God require of every person? Well, that we turn away from our sins to God, we repent. And that we believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That is, we have to have faith. God requires repentance and faith. And on the organ of elimination, you have that symbol of the elimination of impurity from the body that is sin from the life. And before Jesus is born, your faith is to be in God and in the Savior that God will send, would send, the Savior who is the son of Abraham. Somebody's going to have a child who will be the Savior of the world. And that is your hope. Your hope is in the coming child to be born. So it's not a random sign. There's a symbolic point there of cutting away of sin and of hope in the Savior to come. Circumcision is an excellent sign of the covenant of God. Now, in my study Bible, I have the Bible. And then I have helpful footnotes across the bottom, and then here and there I get it gives me these theological essays, and the essays are not dropped in at random. They are put in places where you're next to a passage that has to do with the topic. So can you figure out what essay comes right here at Genesis 17? Because it's not on circumcision. So what is it on? Yeah, not just baptism, infant baptism. All right, right at Genesis 17 is where you get the essay on infant baptism. Now, why do we have an essay on infant baptism sitting not somewhere in the New Testament, but right at Genesis 17? Well, first of all, in Colossians, it says, you've been circumcised, haven't been baptized. A connection made there in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Your circumcision was accomplished when you were baptized. And so you have a tie. Those things are put together there. And as you look at Genesis 17, you notice that the baby eight days old, the infant, was to be circumcised. Wasn't given a choice. Couldn't express faith. Was to be circumcised. And you'll notice that Ishmael is Abraham's told clearly, Ishmael's not where this story is going. My covenant is not going to be with Ishmael. My covenant is going to be with Isaac. But Ishmael gets the sign of the covenant anyway. Now why does Ishmael get the sign of the covenant anyway if God is saying, not him, but Isaac is going to be your heir and will receive this covenant? Well, Ishmael gets the sign of the covenant because he's part of the house. God has his purpose of election, not Ishmael but Isaac. But God is good to Ishmael. While you live in this house, you're a full member of this house. What this house is doing, you're doing. You have a place here. You're not an outsider here. So long as you are here, you belong. The children of God's people are also God's people. We're not to be viewed as viewing our kids as orphans or free agents. The earthly place is among God's people. Now, like Abram at the beginning of the chapter, there's a responsibility that we all have as we come to years of understanding maturity is to repent and to believe. It's to bring our own children for baptism and teach them to uh, to, uh, believe in God. But as we begin life, we're not left out in the cold. We belong as part of God's people. We're cared for and treated with generosity and the house acts like a house. This is what we're doing here. God is our God. And so you get the sign of the covenant with God. Now, if God was generous with believers in the Old Testament, he's more generous in the New Testament. Not just the men, but the women also get the covenant sign in the New Testament, baptism. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles get the covenant sign, baptism. And on the day of Pentecost... Peter signaled that we continue with a household way when he said the promise is for you and your children. That's an echoing of this kind of language here. You and your children. This is who the promise is for. This is who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. God is kind to parents and to children. There's a responsibility that follows on as you grow up. But the household acts like a unit. To baptize the infants just as they were to circumcise the baby boys. Now, speaking of women, that's where God goes next in this chapter. And to borrow a phrase from Leon Cass, God here educates Father Abraham about the meaning of wife. He says, let's start, let's start talking about your woman. As for Sarah, your wife, you won't call her Sarah, you're going to call her Sarah. I've renamed you, and I'm renaming her. And let me walk through everything. I'm going to bless you. Guess what? I'm going to bless her. I promised you a son. Now, let's get this abundantly clear. I mean, I'm going to promise you a son by her. I'm promising her a son. I said you would become nations. That is, she will become nations. That is, kings will come from you. That is, kings are going to come from her. This is the meaning of wife. You're one flesh with her. I gave you these promises. They're for her. And Abraham falls on his face that looks really pious but he's hiding his laugh. He falls on his face to hide his laugh. He's like, doesn't God know we're too old for this? And he furthermore says, you know, I actually don't need this anymore. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, don't you realize I don't need a kid anymore because I already have one. I have one with Hagar. Sarah said it would count as hers. And I think this is Abraham's finest hour right here. As he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That basically means, No need for your plan, God. No need for Sarah to have a child. And he should be saying, Oh, man, hooray! You're finally going to answer my prayers for Sarah. You're finally going to answer Sarah's prayers. That's what he should be saying. He should be saying, Finally! But instead he's saying, Nah, I'm good. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God says, No, 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 not your plan, Abram, and not Sarah's plan, my plan, and my way. No, but Sarah, your wife, we're back to that again, God driving it home, your wife will bear you a son. Yes, you do need one, because the promise that came to the husband was coming to the wife the whole time. God says, you know, I think at this point I'm not done naming either. You want to fall on your face and laugh, Yitzhak, you're going to name that kid Laughter, Yitzhak, Isaac. It's Laughter in Hebrew. You're naming that kid Laughter now, buddy. That's what you're going to do. Don't worry about Ishmael. I will take care of him. He will be blessed. But my covenant is with Isaac, whom Sarah, your wife, will bear this time next year. And God finally gives him a time promise. That's a rare thing. God makes a lot of promises, but he doesn't attach a time to them very often. He's attached a time at this point right here, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. And that's when God leaves. That's when Abraham gets to work with circumcision. But we're to see here, Abraham is being rebuked, and encouraged and taught about the meaning of wife. And we are to live with our wives in an understanding way, in a generous way, knowing that they are fellow heirs with us of the grace of life. If you've received a promise from God, husbands, hasn't she as well? If you receive a sorrow from God, hasn't she as well? You two are one flesh with each other. You are linked. And one flesh matters. So, what the husband is promised, the wife is promised, for they are one flesh. This week, the Surgeon General came out with quite a statement. He said loneliness poses health risks as bad as smoking. That's a rather startling thing for a Surgeon General to say. We've gone too far, being individualistic. Even in families, you can have everybody on their own screen, their own activity, their own life, their own religion. Families are supposed to act like families. And so heads of household, you'd expect your household to work together, to obey God, and to be blessed by God. Act as a family. And bring your children for baptism. Because what he's educating them is he's bringing them to the point that Joshua got to. When he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So as we are flesh, and as God deals with flesh, God deals with families, let us remember that families are a blessing. And we expect our families to work together and to be obey and be blessed by God. Let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you don't leave wives behind that even when husbands want to leave wives behind, that you say no, but your wife. So Lord, please forgive those of us who have forgotten wife. Please help us to work together well, husband and wife together, honoring wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.